Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series. We're continuing right along in the series that we've entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. Uh, both the notes and the recordings of all of these studies are available on our website at new-life-ministries.org. And if you are following along in the outline, we have come to part four, Mount Sinai, and we're around page 47. And let me just say something in general once again about this study. Uh, this absolutely has nothing to do with the fact that I'm giving this study, but this is a tremendous uh, study into God's Word that we're attempting to undertake here. And we really need the assistance of the Holy Spirit because we can just read the Bible from cover to cover and still be blind and still not really understand what we're reading. But when the Holy Spirit opens up our mind and the eyes of our heart and begins to reveal things to us, from the scriptures. It's an amazing experience. And I'm reminded of what happened uh, shortly after Jesus uh, resurrected and he met those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he began to have a dialogue with them and we're told in Luke 24 uh, that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's an interesting expression. He opened their mind so that they could understand the scriptures. And he began to explain to them from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, things that were written, of course all they had then was the Old Testament scriptures, things that were written in the scriptures concerning himself. So, we need to have our minds opened, so when we're reading about the Passover, or the Red Sea, or the Tabernacle, or Mount Sinai, these are actual historical events that took place, but when the Holy Spirit opens our minds, we begin to see something far greater, and that's what we're attempting to do here. Uh, the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, traveling through the wilderness for 40 years, and entering into Canaan, the promised land, it's real history. But beyond the history, we're not just studying this to learn the history, that's valuable and important. We're looking at it through the eyes of the Holy Spirit to try to get a vision of what God really wanted us to see. And there's something far bigger here than just the history of Israel. We believe, and this is what we're trying to, to see throughout this Bible study, we believe that the New Testament scriptures reveal to us that it's really a picture from start to finish of our entire spiritual journey. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have some kind of a guidebook or a handbook telling me where I started and where I'm going to finish on this spiritual journey that began the day that 
I receive Christ into my life. And I believe you feel the same way. Well, the, the purpose of this Bible study is for us to get a clearer and clearer view of this whole process we call salvation. And we're breaking it down into different parts, although in reality, it's an integrated whole. It's one whole journey. And one of the scriptures we've mentioned numerous times now, from Deuteronomy 6, I believe it's verse 23, God brought them out to take them in. Shows a twofold purpose that God had for Israel, and by extension, it's the same twofold purpose He has for you and for me. Thus, the title of this Bible study, Out of Bondage into Abundance. He brought Israel out of slavery, but that wasn't the end of his plan or purpose. That was just the first part. Once he got them out of bondage, his next plan or purpose was to take them in to a land flowing with milk and honey. And we've we've broken this down into a series of steps or experiences that were involved in that process of Israel coming out and going in. We looked at the first and initial step out of bondage was the celebration of the Passover. It took the shedding of blood, the blood of an innocent lamb applied over their doors to free them from Pharaoh's grip from his yoke of bondage. And we've, saw, we've seen that in the New Testament, Paul says Christ is our Passover. So the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb, fulfills that type and shadow that we learned about in Exodus chapter 12. What happened in Exodus chapter 12 is real history. That really did happen, but it was foreshadowing something far greater when the Son of God, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would give His life as the ultimate perfect sacrifice on Calvary. And through His blood, we also are delivered from slavery. Not the slavery of Pharaoh, but a far worse form of slavery called sin. Jesus spoke very clearly in John chapter 8, if you sin, you're automatically the servant, the slave of sin. And we know from experience and from Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all need a remedy to that problem all need a deliverance from the bondage of sin, and that can only come through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, they left Egypt. They were very happy. They were quite uh, rejoicing over their newfound freedom until very soon thereafter they came to the shore of the Red Sea. Pharaoh had changed his mind, and he and his armies were in hot pursuit of the Israelite slaves. 
He wanted to drag them back into bondage, back into Egypt. And so at the Red Sea, they needed a second salvation experience. God told them, you're going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In the waters of the Red Sea, the Israelites were saved. Pharaoh and all of his armies were destroyed. And Paul, writing again in the New Testament, he describes that experience in the Red Sea as a baptism in 1 Corinthians 10. They were baptized in the Red Sea. Interesting use of the word baptized, because I'm sure Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had received this revelation. His mind had been opened to understand that what Israel experienced at the Red Sea corresponds to what the New Testament follower of Christ experiences in water baptism. Subsequent to repentance and faith in Christ, the next step in our salvation is to take water baptism. And the third step in their coming out of Egypt was 50 days later at Mount Sinai. And this corresponds to what happened on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, 50 days exactly after the celebration of the Passover when Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb, was put to death. By no coincidence, the two coinciding. Jesus died, you'll remember, during that Passover weekend. And so on the day of Pentecost, the power, the fire, the glory of God came down in the upper room and filled 120 disciples with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we are now in our study. We have come now to Mount Sinai. And we've mentioned that at Mount Sinai, it wasn't just a two or three day stopover. They spent almost an entire year at Mount Sinai before going any further in their journey because this was such a significant event in their whole journey out of bondage into abundance. And we have been looking at a series of very important events that took place at Mount Sinai, actually seven of them. And tonight we're going to come to the fourth of those seven. Let me list them once again. Seven important things that took place at Mount Sinai 50 days after they had come out of Egypt. Number one, it was here at Mount Sinai God gave them his law. Moses went up into the mountain, came down with the two tablets of the law. God revealed his law and made a covenant with Israel there at Mount Sinai. Secondly, he brought the people into an intimate, holy marriage relationship with himself. He became their husband, and he, from that point on, refers to them as his people. These are God's covenant people. They're in a very 
special relationship with God now. Thirdly, God sought for a temple where he could dwell. And this is where we concluded last time. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That tabernacle that was constructed there at Mount Sinai would travel with the Israelites for the next 40 years and God promising to dwell in their midst. Now, we come to the fourth of seven important things that happened at Mount Sinai. And again, if you're following in the notes, we are on page 47. This is Roman numeral number four. And the title of this section is God Revealed His Glory to His People. Keep in mind, Israel coming to Mount Sinai represents for us what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I have to keep reiterating this because uh, so many Christians have not been taught this properly. And it's not rocket science. It's really very basic gospel. It's very easy to find these things in the New Testament. And yet, Man and tradition and a whole lot of other stuff have confused the issue. But let me go through it again. Jesus spoke of three distinct experiences in John chapter 3. Born again, born of water, born of the Spirit. They correspond to these three steps that we're looking at in quite a bit of detail. The Passover lamb... Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are born again. We become new. We're regenerated. Then, through baptism in water, we are born of water. Birth speaks about a new life, a new beginning, a new experience. And so each one of these three experiences is referred to by Christ as a birth. When we first put our faith in Christ, it's a new beginning. We're born again. We're regenerated. When we take water baptism, something brand new takes place in our life. The old man is buried with Christ, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. Likewise, this third experience, born of the Spirit, is separate and distinct from the other two. I'm sure you've heard many Bible teachers and preachers say all three of them happen at the same time. When you get saved, you get the whole package. That's it. That's not right. That's false teaching. Very clearly in the New Testament, we see a number of examples, and the clearest one I've mentioned in previous studies You can look it up for yourself in Acts chapter 8, and I'm not just cherry-picking this one chapter. There are other places where you can see it. Philip went down to Samaria. He preached the gospel to them. Many people believed his preaching, and they got saved. They received Christ as their Savior. Subsequent to that, Philip 
baptized many of them. They took water baptism. However, it's very clear in Acts 8, they had not yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So Philip sent word to Jerusalem to have Peter and John, the apostles, come down from Jerusalem to Samaria to pray for the Samaritans that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. Very clear. Peter and John went down to Samaria, placed their hands on these new disciples who had gotten saved and baptized in water, and when and only when Peter and John placed their hands on them did they also receive the Holy Spirit. Three separate events. On the day of Pentecost, they asked Peter, what should we do? He gave them three things that they needed to do. Repent, take baptism, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, the experience of being born again is separate and distinct from what we're studying now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism means to be immersed in, completely drenched, completely dunked under. In the case of water, we're immersed in the water. We're not just sprinkled with a few drops on our forehead. And when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we don't get just a little touch at the altar. We are immersed into the Spirit of God. We begin to swim. We begin to drink. We begin to live and move and have our being in the Holy Spirit of God. So, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a profound and very important part of our salvation. And really, we can't move effectively any further without that experience. And without any more review, I want to get into tonight's section because it's a good one. God revealed His glory at Mount Sinai. Now they had seen God's power in Egypt and at the Red Sea. They got a glimpse of God's majesty and His glory at the Red Sea. But it's only at Mount Sinai that God comes down face to face with the Israelites and allows them to see the visible manifestation of His glory. They saw fire. They saw smoke. They saw a radiance coming from God's face there at Mount Sinai, which points to what is going to happen in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. More about the New Testament part in a little while. Okay, at Mount Sinai, God's glory was visible. I want to emphasize that. It was something that the people could see. They saw a consuming fire. They even saw God's glory on Moses' face. 
when he came down from the top of the mountain. Matter of fact, we'll see in a minute, Moses had to put a veil over his face. It was so bright, this glory, this residual glory that was still upon him after being in the presence of God's glory. Alright, let's turn to some scriptures. Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 to 18. It says, when Moses went up on the mountain, and of course, this is Mount Sinai, the cloud covered it. And we might as well mention this now. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul mentions two baptisms. The Israelites were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. Note again, Two different baptisms. Baptized in the sea, that's baptism in water, and baptized in the cloud. Whenever you hear about the cloud, it's talking about God's glory. Let's read this carefully again. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. This wasn't just a rain cloud. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord, notice they saw, not a rain cloud, but they saw the glory. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This was a very unusual cloud. It looked like a consuming fire. And we've mentioned several times now the connection between fire at Mount Sinai and fire on the day of Pentecost. It's no accident. The, the Holy Spirit, when it came upon the disciples in the upper room, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and that's why there appeared cloven tongues of fire on top of their heads. Something visible representing that baptism in fire that was taking place. Okay, note this very carefully. The glory of God settled on the mountain. The Israelites, it says the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. Those are significant words. They saw it. This is something visible. It wasn't just an invisible presence or something <coughs> Excuse me. that they felt. This was visible. This is a visible manifestation of God's glory upon the mountain. And then when Moses comes back down out of that cloud, 
He is shining visibly with some of that glory. Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35. Exodus 34, 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, note those words, saw Moses, again, something visible. When Aaron and all the Israelites, not just Aaron, everybody saw this. When they saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So, God at Mount Sinai reveals in a visible manifestation His glory, not just to Moses, not just to Aaron, but to all the people. All the people saw the glory of God, both on top of the mountain like a consuming fire out of that cloud that covered the mountain, but they also saw this glory on Moses' face when he came down out of that glory. Now, one more Old Testament scripture, and then we're going to look at some New Testament verses. In Exodus 40, we saw this last time when we were studying the temple, the tabernacle. In Exodus 40, we come to the end of Exodus, and Moses has finally completed the last minute details in the construction of the tabernacle. It took almost an entire year. And something very significant is told us in Exodus 40, verses 33 to 35. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then, only after it's all finished, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Notice again the connection between the cloud and the glory. The cloud covered the mountain, they saw the glory of God. 
the cloud covers the tent after it's completed, and the glory of God not only covers and hovers above the tent, but it fills the tabernacle. The cloud covered the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, very clearly, at Mount Sinai, there is not just a momentary revelation or manifestation of God's glory, but God's glory comes to rest first upon the mountain, then upon Moses' face, and finally upon the very tabernacle that was going to accompany the Israelites throughout their journey in the wilderness for the next 40 years. This is highly significant, and it points so beautifully to what happens when you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see the glory of God, but we, we not only see the glory, the glory comes and fills us, and we begin to radiate that glory. That glory takes up residence inside of us. And remember, Moses initially was not aware that he was now radiant with that glory. And we don't realize it, but when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, other people see us differently. Oh yeah, even sinners, unbelievers, when we're around them, they may not understand excuse me, what it is, but they're seeing something radiating from our lives. I can't tell you how many times I've been in an elevator or out in public somewhere and maybe there's an unbeliever uh, there with me and as is their custom, they get ready to curse or take the Lord's name in vain and I haven't even told them that I'm a pastor or I'm a Christian yet. And in the middle of their cursing, they stop themselves and they say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. What is that? They're recognizing, not you or me, but they're recognizing the glory of God that has now come to dwell inside you, the Holy Spirit. All right, let's look at some scriptures. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is referred to as the Spirit of Glory. The Spirit of Glory. That's interesting. 1 Peter 4, verse 14. Peter writes, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of Glory and of God rests on you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And then, a very significant New Testament passage that we've already looked at, but we'll look at it again in this context of the Holy Spirit bringing the glory of God upon our lives and inside of us, 
we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 to 11, and then we're going to jump down to verses 17 and 18. Paul here is tying directly what happened to Moses at Mount Sinai with what happens to the Christian through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a very good example of where the Apostle Paul, through the anointing, the inspiration, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, is taking one of these Old Testament types or shadows and explaining to us what it represents in the New Testament. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, he's referring to the two tablets of the law that Moses brought down with him from Mount Sinai. Let's read this again. If the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, note those words, even the giving of the law, although it brought death, it came with glory. That ministry, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? I want you to notice how many times in this passage you find the words glory and glorious. I didn't count them, but it's there a lot of times. So, the ministry that brought death, engraved on two tablets of stone, came with glory. How? Well, Paul refers specifically to Moses' face, shining with God's glory. Then he contrasts that with the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 8 again. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Man, can anything be more glorious than what the Israelites saw at Mount Sinai? A whole mountain on fire, shaking, trembling, smoke and consuming fire covering it, and then Moses coming down with his face shining? Absolutely. That's what Paul says. Spirit the ministry of the Spirit will be even more glorious. Then he shifts back to Mount Sinai. If the ministry that brought condemnation, that's the Old Covenant, the law, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, and it was, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? That's the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 10, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with 
the surpassing glory. So, let's dissect this. Verse 10, what was glorious, he's talking about Mount Sinai, that's past now. It's transitory. It has no glory now in comparison with, and now he's talking about the New Testament, the ministry of the Spirit, he refers to it as surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, it passed away, came with glory, how much greater is the glory that of that which lasts? Notice how many times in this short little passage you find the words glory and glorious, and whenever he refers to the ministry of the Spirit, it's more glorious. It has surpassing glory, a much greater glory. Now, he finishes this third chapter of Second Corinthians in verses 17 and 18. And notice how he ties all this back to the Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, he's still tying this in with Moses' face, shining at Mount Sinai, but now he's talking to Christians, we all, who have the Spirit, with unveiled faces, contemplate, see, marvel at, we can envision, what? The Lord's glory. And we, like Moses, are being transformed by that glory. Moses' face became radiant. We now contemplate the Lord's glory and we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. There it is again. Ever-increasing, surpassing glory. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Israel saw God's glory at Mount Sinai. God's glory was revealed to them. God's glory filled the tabernacle. God's glory uh, shone upon Moses' face. Through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. We're baptized with God's glory. The Spirit of glory comes to dwell in us, and He rests on us. And we are brought into a far more glorious ministry. Paul refers to it as the ministry of the Spirit. And through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are now contemplating, we're seeing the glory of God. And as we continue to gaze upon the glory of God, we are transformed with ever 
increasing glory. This is kind of a poor analogy, but if you want to think of it, when Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in that glory, some of it kind of rubbed off on his face. And when he came down, he was still shining with that glory. Likewise, the more time we spend in the glory of God, basking in the presence of God, getting filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we are changed. We are transformed by the Spirit of glory. You know, we can't change ourselves. We can even know all the scriptures about what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be humble, meek, gentle, loving, kind, you know all those things. But how many of you know we can't turn a little knob and suddenly we become holy, we become righteous, we, be, we become humble? We have to be transformed, and it's a supernatural transformation that takes place through the Holy Spirit, through the glory of God. You know, it says of the early apostles, um, these were unlearned men, fishermen, tax collectors, but when the people saw them, they didn't know who these guys were, but when they saw them, they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had been in that glorious presence, and somehow it got transferred onto them. I don't know about you, but when sinners and unbelievers and whoever, when they meet me, I don't care whether they know my name or my title or my job position or any of that, but if they walk away saying, man, there's something strange about that guy. Seems like he's been spending time with Jesus. That's what I want. I want to have that same testimony. He's been up on the mountain in the glory of God. The face is radiant with that glory. You know, uh, my wife comes from Sri Lanka, and sometimes we'll have to visit a Sri Lankan or an Indian grocery store to buy some of the spices and things that she wants for her special kind of cooking. And when you go into one of those stores, of course, it's filled with curry and cardamom and all kinds of chilies and spices and stuff. And unbeknownst to you, just after a casual visit to the store, when you come out of that place, your hair, your skin, your, your clothing, all of you smells like the spices in the store. It kind of rubs off onto you. Likewise, when we spend time in the glory of God, when we live in the Spirit of God, we may not be aware of it, but it is starting to rub off on us. 
we're being changed by that glory. Let me uh, read this portion again from Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he was not aware that his face was radiant. He didn't realize something happened to him while he was there in the glory. He was not aware that his face was radiant. However, Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses that his face was radiant. Something visible was manifested to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and God wants to manifest visibly His glory in and through us, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, both individually and corporately as His body. And again, our example is what happened on the day of Pentecost. There was a visible manifestation when the Holy Spirit came upon them. The the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire were visibly seen upon their heads. And then, of course, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, everyone in Jerusalem was aware that something supernatural had happened to these men and women. How? Well, the very first evidence was they spoke in other tongues. When they were filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, Acts 2-4 says they all began to speak in other tongues, in other utterances, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. They weren't making up these words. They weren't just uttering gibberish. They were talking new languages. Paul refers to the the tongues or the languages of angels. They were speaking in other languages. They did the speaking. It was their mouth, their voice, their vocal cords, their lips. But the words, the language, was coming to them through the Holy Spirit. And of course, as you keep reading through the book of Acts, there were many, many amazing, visible demonstrations of the glory of God that had now come to dwell inside of them. They had become temples of the Holy Spirit. And the glory of God, just as it did with Moses' tabernacle, now had come to dwell in them. And they performed mighty signs and wonders, healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, turning whole cities upside down for Jesus Christ. Uh, Many, many people turning from sin and darkness to the Lord because of that radiant light, that glory, that was now shining through these disciples after being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned, people saw something 
happening to these people. The unbelievers saw uh, that the glory of God had come upon them. So much so, in Acts chapter 5, it says the glory, the grace and the power of God was upon the apostles so mightily, the rest of the Christians were afraid to get too close to them. And remember, even Peter's shadow was healing the sick as they were laid out on the sidewalks of Jerusalem. That's glory, my friends. And if God did it in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, I think he still wants to do that. And when Paul writes later on to the Corinthians, and this is not in the notes, but I feel inspired to read it, uh, you'll recognize the scripture when I come to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, Notice he's also talking here about the Holy Spirit. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with, and here's where I want to pause, with a demonstration, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's a very important and a powerful scripture. With a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You know, people need demonstrations. I don't know about you, but I'm a visual learner. You can try to explain to me in a book or a manual how to do something, and it may take me days of reading over that book. But if you show me how to do it, I can learn it very quickly. And many people are like that. If they see a demonstration, man, it's so easy to understand it, not to mention that a demonstration has a far greater impact on our lives. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to just sit around and read books and talk about the Holy Spirit. After all is said and done, what we need in our churches, in our lives, and in our ministries is a demonstration of the Spirit of God. Just like they had at Mount Sinai, just like they had in the early church, how much more in these last dark days of such decadence and moral decline and atheism and evil, how much more in these dark days do we need demonstrations of the Spirit's power and Spirit's glory? Why? 
Paul says there's a reason for this. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. At Mount Sinai, God revealed His glory because He wanted the people to keep their eyes on His glory. He wanted them to trust in God's power and glory. And matter of fact, we saw last time that visible manifestation of the cloud above the tabernacle was the means by which God would lead them, guide them, and even command them. He commanded them through that cloud, through that visible demonstration of His glory. And we now are being led by the Spirit of God. And God wants to give the church and even unbelievers in the world around us, He wants to give them visible demonstrations in these last days of His power and His glory. That's why you and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to stir up the gifts of God in our lives so that we can prophesy, speak in tongues, interpret tongues, have the gift of faith, working of miracles, signs and wonders, discerning spirits, having words and messages of knowledge and wisdom, and so forth. We need to stir up those gifts in the last days, and we need to pray, just as Paul had determined here, God, I don't want to just speak fancy words, give long, persuasive speeches. I want you to use me by your Spirit, and that you would give a demonstration of your power so that people might put their faith, not in me, not in man's wisdom, but in your power. And let me say one more thing about the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm getting a little bit off track, but I think this is important. The gifts of the Spirit, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 12 and again in verse 14, indeed, they're for the edifying of the church. They're for the edifying of the believers. But that doesn't mean the gifts of the Spirit are to be confined to the four walls of the church. You can prophesy to sinners. You can give them a word of wisdom or knowledge. And many times, this is how unbelievers come to Christ when they see a demonstration of God's supernatural wisdom and power. Healing isn't just for the church. In the book of Acts, that how, that's how whole cities turn to the Lord when unbelievers were healed miraculously by God. They turned to Christ, their families, and in many cases, their whole cities turned to Christ because of that miraculous healing or casting out of demons or even, in some cases, through the raising of the dead. Let's pray tonight that God would stir up the gifts of the Spirit in our lives and that we would understand that when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the glory of God came upon us, and our faces are now to radiate 
that glory. And that glory has come to dwell in us through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And God is wanting the world around us to see that glory. What does it say in Isaiah 60? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And while gross darkness covers the earth and its peoples and its governments, it says there in Isaiah 60 that they will come to our brightness. They're going to be drawn to the brightness and the glory that is upon God's people in these last days. As things get darker in the world, they're going to get brighter in the church. More of God's glory will be revealed in these final moments of time upon His servants, upon His people, upon His church. Let us pray. Father, I thank You for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God, I thank You for the free gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the Counselor, whom you said would come to dwell in us forever. He would never leave us. He would come and stay permanently in us, making us his very temple. And Lord, just as you revealed your glory there on Mount Sinai, upon the mountain, through the face of Moses, and in the tabernacle, so you want your glory to come upon the church in greater measure with increasing glory now as we're coming to the very end of time. God, I pray that you would pour out your glory upon your church. Fill everyone on this Bible study line. Fill everyone listening to this Bible study with the Holy Spirit and fire with the power of God and the glory of God. Stir up the gifts of the Spirit in every one of our lives and give us great boldness as we move through this dark and fallen world. Give us boldness to move and operate in those gifts of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your promise that you will never leave us you will never forsake us. Holy Spirit, you have come to stay with us until the end. God, bless each and every one of us. Cause us to shine with that glory and cause many, many people around us to be drawn to that glory <clears throat> and to come out of darkness into your marvelous light. We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus, amen.